Igawau acknowledges the traditional owners of the land upon which we record, the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and the Wadawurrung people of the Kulin Nation. We pay our respects to the elders past, present and emerging. I'm Good Brother. I'm Lil Silky. And welcome to Ego Hour, the show where we deliver objectively true film reviews. Start the timer for me, Tom. Anything said over the next 60 minutes will stand up in a court of law, and any argument you find yourself in with a film school student. These reviews are non-negotiable, non-refundable, and non-descript. So let's talk about I'm Thinking of Ending Things. Released on September 4th, 2020 to Netflix, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, or its alternative European release title, I'm Thinking of Ending My Head of Continuity's Career, is a psychological thriller written and directed by Charlie Kaufman. The film clocks in with a runtime of 134 minutes, an M rating, and it may just make you question your reason for living. That's a beautiful introduction for what is sure to be a beautiful episode. It's a very special episode here because we have a, we have a guest for the first time ever. Our first guest on the Ego Hour podcast. G'day, everyone. Uh, I'll, I'll just call, I'll refer to myself as Shaggy. This <laughs> is Shaggy. Seeing, seeing, as we're using, seeing as we're using our, our made-up names. Um, uh, mine's not made up. <laughs> Don't I'll, I'll refer to myself as Shaggy or, or Hess Royale. Um, but yeah, I was going to say, Tom, I think um, you were saying make, makes you question your life. I'd say more like makes me question why I wasted my time. Oh, <laughs> he's coming in hot. Wow, the ratings are saved for the end normally, but, you know. If, sorry, sorry. I'll have some positive it. things to say as well. So. All right, before before we get started on, on the movie, we like to do, but, you know, it's un... Before un- that, pre- before that. Before that, okay. Let's sorry. give some context. Who is this strange man who's coming in and roasting an artistic marvel? Boy, I got a surprise for you now. We got a guest. So, our guest today is, as mentioned, Shaggy Hess, who is a fellow film school student, um, a friend of mine, and a friend of the the Good Brother family. He worked on the uh, probably not release top secret Good Brother documentary. Problematic. (laughs) I was like, yes, problematic. Good Brother documentary. Um, hopefully it gets released. Hopefully it wins some awards. We'll see what happens. But in the meantime, uh, yeah, Shaggy goes to uni with me. Uh, he's also the editor on my on our upcoming short film, our final project at university. Shaggy, introduce yourself formally. Uh, well, thank you for that very kind introduction, Lil Silky. Uh, yeah, that pretty much sums me up. I guess the other two facts you need to know about me, uh, if you're an American, you probably have no idea what I'm, to- I'm talking about, but I'm a Collingwood supporter and I'm also a vegetarian and that probably sums me up pretty well. Yeah. Well, <laughs> does that impact your opinion on the film? Oh, well, sorry. In terms of, in terms of um, filmmaking, I guess you could say like I specialize in editing um and i'm not sure whether you'd say that really impacts how i sort of watch and view a film but 
yeah, I guess I would like to say that I have a balanced way of looking at things, and I guess that didn't really come across with my first statement here. So we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll get into some some. Um, we can always edit it in post. Yeah. <laughs> if it's too, too bad. Intellectual. No, I'm happy. Keep it in. Keep it in. I'll stand by my words. <laughs> right. but yeah. We go by a raw approach to this show. Yeah. We do. Let's get no, into it. Um, <laughs> before, we, before we start the film chat, we always like to, you know, we're in unprecedented times. We like to check in with one another. So. Hey, girl. I know it's been a while, but uh, I just need to ask you something. Tom, how are you going? I'm good. Got a big headache today. Too much screen staring, I imagine. A uh, bit of a, you know, COVID classic. But, you know, we're here now. We've got our bevies. We've got a guess. I'm hyped up and I'm ready to go. What about you, good brother? Yep, I'm pretty good myself. Bit of crunch time at uni, but, you know, I've got the pod getting me through week to week, so I'm good. All right, now, Shaggy, how are you? Yeah, I'm good. Uh, just, again, a bit of a crunch time at uni, trying to balance uh, tr- that and also wanting to get back into some YouTube uh, video making, but that's a story for another time. I think, I think it's a but, story for now. What? what oh. Let the, this is the prime time to plug yourself, so oh, what sort of YouTube? I guess. Um, so, basically, something that I do just sort of in my spare time is um, it's like this silly little gaming channel. Generally, my fan base, if they're probably, their age is about nine years old to 12 years old. Um, You've been plugging this pod on the channel, of course, won't you? <laughs> yes, of course. Oh, I definitely will be. <laughs> Amazing. Nine-year-olds so, yeah. love Charlie Kaufman, so they'll be very keen to check it out. Exactly. Yes. Charlie Kaufman's target demographic, nine-year-olds, <laughs> um, they're going to love it. So, yeah. If, if you're interested in checking out the channel, I promise you there's some content there that isn't just nine-year-old targeted, uh, if that's the best way to describe it. So, yeah. Um, it's your introduction, yeah, man. You're doing this to yourself. Yes, we are on, on YouTube. Yeah. Awesome. So, where do we want to begin? There's just so much to unpack with this film, basically. I think, Tom, you've got, you've got the notes, right? I've got my notes. Can I ask a question to both of you first, to start things off? Of course. Off? Well, um, did either of you read the book before watching this movie, or were you aware that there was a book that this was based on? I had it. Yeah, I was. I went in blind. I mean, I think I heard that it was about a book, but I didn't know anything about it. Has anyone done the research on the book for this part? Because I haven't. I have done a bit of reading. Have you done some reading, Rob? I watched a video breakdown on YouTube that referred to the book and gave a bit of a clearer insight because yeah i went in i'd watched the trailer before and that's probably something i would like to touch on with you guys but um yeah i what i when i posted my review on letterboxd i had someone comment and say oh maybe if you'd read the book you would have appreciated it sort of more so i thought that was yeah a point of interest and it's probably worth acknowledging when you're talking about the film i think Mm. Yeah, so that is a little bit of context. So context is for you is that you have seen the trailer before you watched it. Is that true? Yes. Yes, so, that Yes, that's correct. So my context would be that um I just knew like it, it showed up on Netflix as a thing. 
I know that Charlie Kaufman is a famous man. Um, and it start, since it started to make waves in my uh, film school make circles. Make waves in your circles. I, um, I saw some people posting about it in the, one of the year level chats. Um, but I went in blind. Well, I suppose, actually, I, I didn't go in blind in the way that I've watched Synecdoche, New York. So that was basically what I was expecting. Have either of you seen that? No, sir. No, I have not. Although it's been on my watch list because Eternal Sunshine of, my, of the Spotless Mind, the other sort of famous Kaufman film is my favourite movie probably yes, ever. I wanted to mention that. That is big. That is big. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done such a... You know, I don't think I've had a, a 180 on a direct, like a favorite film director, like it sounds like you have here. Well, I think it's hard to follow something up once you've peaked. The only way is down. Um. <laughs> Very negative view. <laughs> don't. Well, let's hope. Let's not get this podcast too good then, because we want yeah, to yeah. follow this one up. Sorry, I'll try and be a bit, bit more positive. I mean, <laughs> you're completely free to roast it. You it's can do just, whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> That obviously wasn't directed by him, though. Like, that's just the script. Yes. Um, mm. well, I've, have you seen Adaptation, Tom, or Rob? No. Or what's the other one? Being Joe Malkovich. Have you guys seen that? I haven't. No. Didn't we watch that together, Tom? No. Interesting. It's, it's on DVD at where you are, so I think you should. I've obviously it. heard about it, but yeah, I just haven't watched it. All right, there you go. So the trailer, Rob. Ah, uh, the trailer. So... The trailer for this film, when I watched it, I was pretty excited for it. I thought it looked more standard, generic trope horror movie for me. Oh, and that's so interesting. Yeah. That's so, I so, it, so... Yeah, they sort of marketed it, in my opinion, from memory, as like, you know, you go to the spooky parent's house and something's not quite right, and it definitely didn't come across that it was going to be this sort of abstract piece that you you have to sort of decipher for yourself and i think that's my main criticism of it but um yeah and i think you guys had an interesting chat in the relic episode of this podcast series about Exclusive genre preview. yeah <laughs> um yeah about genre and genre expectations so do you, yeah did you what sort of genre would you put this in do you guys think, can it fit into one? It's sort of funny because I, I didn't know, I hadn't thought about genre at all. I was too focused on story and plot. And because I have seen Synecdoche, it's a lot, Synecdoche is a lot like this, like very confusing, very, um, is it like very grand, very big, very whatever. Like it just goes wandering and doesn't, come back basically um so when i went to take notes on this I, I checked the wikipedia page the description is that this is a psychological thriller film which i was not expecting or thinking i like i've watched the film and i don't think it's a psychological thriller film maybe psychological drama but like i definitely like psychological thriller sounds like i don't know um that film with forrest whitaker where he's like they have all the different perspectives and there's the sniper. <laughs> it's like action psychological point. <laughs> yes, vantage point. My go-to psychological Yeah, that's a, that's a five. Let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like starting to unpack it a little bit. Like I did not see it 
as a psychological thriller. So I can see why that would have annoyed you. Yeah, I agree that I, cause I didn't look at the genre at all before it, um, or the trailer or anything. So I just kind of expected it to be, you know, confusing like a mind fuck, but yeah, I didn't have any expectations as to content really. I think, I think, um, something that does annoy me though, um, is when an audience will go in and then view a film negatively because it didn't fit into their expectations of it. Even though I think maybe that's a fair enough thing if you've paid money and you've felt actively misled into what you're paying to watch, I would like to think that any sort of well-rounded, reasonable person can still view a film and appreciate it as what it's... Like a film... You, you know, I'm sort of... I'm stumbling around my words, but just like the... You know, you can view a film in itself without having to categorize it. Because I almost feel like genre for me is just a way of like film marketing. It doesn't really serve a function, I don't think, um, in terms of narrative wise. Like, I think it's almost restrictive to say, oh, we have to fit into this genre. Mm -hmm. So I wouldn't say that it was necessarily something that made me like appreciate the film less or have a more of a negative reaction to it. But I would probably say that just overall, I don't really think it works as a film, regardless of what genre it fits in. <laughs> yeah, you had me till the end there. I was giving you these deep nods. <laughs> you lost me right at the end. No, but I, I agree with what he's saying. Like uh, when it comes down to it at the end, they just need to sell a film at some point And it, yeah. the easiest to do that, you know, genre is, there so you can make these quick links in your head and you know more quickly decide whether you want to watch the movie or not so i think it's easy to criticize genre a bit broadly and saying like thinking about people categorizing films because it undermines the fact that you yourself are doing it whether you like it or not like you're you're still going to approach films in your filing cabinet in what times what you know like you're close to other films whether you like it or not like to some extent basically you have to understand films broadly by grouping them. So maybe I suppose the genre for me isn't like psychological drama or thriller. It's probably just like, you know, artistic um, think piece sort of. That's what I would describe it as. I'm keen to hear what you thought of it, Tom, given you've kept yourself pure for the pod. Yes. So are we going all the way? Are we like having me describe what I think it's all about or just talk about the film a little bit? I want you to talk about what it's all about because I think that we can start from there. Okay. Well, I mean, well, what do you think, Shaggy? Are you ready to get stuck in? I'm ready. I'm ready. Here Let's we go. do this. So, do you want So, you want me to go first cuz I think I I think I've cracked the story. Like I've I've chatted about it with um mum and dad briefly, but like, you know, two renowned I, film critics. <laughs> they're pretty important members of the, the podcast family as well. Obviously they come up every episode. Cause you, yeah, you wouldn't believe it. Um, okay. So here we go. So first of all, I'm watching the film, all the dinner table stuff. Um, yeah. So the meeting, the parents stuff, first of all, I think that was just not was just, I think that was, uh, musing and imagining on, the whole premise of meeting parents and like it really does just kind of go like that's the most conventional thinking at, at least which is it's exploring what it's like to meet parents and then how that um how that can go like a million different ways and so the things that stand out to me early on are that the um the main character oh well actually i'll pause that hold that thought 
So the character Young Woman played by Jessie Buckley, her name changes constantly, her job changes constantly, there's no real continuity to that stuff at the start. Um, they're at the dinner table, like no one's touching the food, but it's a big, like grand thing. In the car he said his mum's not going to have much prepared because she's sick and then he gets there and then she's fine and then she's talking about all the different hobbies and then the dad's talking about um, like artwork and criticising her artwork. So I really do think the start was just musing on this idea of what can happen and like the sort of anxiety that goes into meeting parents, right? Right. Right. So... So that's just, you know, broad. I think that's comedy. I think that's entertainment. And it's a bit of, it's the first plot thing. But the whole movie, what does it mean? Because obviously things get a bit weird, obviously in the house, but then once you leave the house. So the second of my three reading points are that I think that the stuff, so the parents obviously start to age and then de-age and like jump around in age, basically. What does that mean? So to me, that means... It's like when you meet someone and this idea that when you meet someone you're consuming all of their life in like a few moments of meeting them. The idea is that you first meet someone and you didn't know this person existed until you've met them. And then suddenly when you've met them, you learn that there's this person who has this history. Like you start, you go through the house, you start seeing photos of the past, you start seeing, um, uh, um, not Jesse, uh, Jake's the actor's name's Jesse, you start seeing Jake's childhood bedroom and you consume all this information at once. So meeting people is a really significant um, information uh, consumption stage, right? And the other thing that you do is once you start to meet people, you start forming these opinions on them, their past and probably their future. So I think what that was doing, the whole age jump in, I think it was a visual, not visual, uh, a narrative metaphor and an explanation of when you meet people how you can how you start thinking about who they are as people in your present state so that's why she stayed her same age and they changed ages so if i come to shaggy's house and i meet his mum for the first time i'm going to see pictures of young shaggy on the walls i'm going to meet his mum see like talk to her see pictures of her on the wall maybe and at this one step it's this huge information intake where i'm going to start forming opinions and relationships to um, this person that I've never met before. So I think that was a visual representation of that process. All right, point three. Point three, the thing that ties it all together. So I was thinking about this film and I was thinking how the janitor stuff is cut through. What does that all mean? Because it's obviously unrelated to the plot point, um, which is that we are introduced to the film and we think that we're following main character, young woman played by Jessie Buckley as she's thinking about ending things with her boyfriend. And so we think we're about to go on a journey where um, her thoughts and feelings are shaped by the interaction with her parents. But more and more, you are learning more and more about Jake rather than the young woman. And so then, of course, we keep going through the film. We, have, we leave the house finally. We go to the, uh, what's it called? Tulsi Town. And we meet the, the young women and there's some sort of weird thing going on with the, with the attendants. And then we get to the school and then we lose Jake where with a young woman. And then the janitor shows up and he's having all this conversation. And then we get this, this fantastic dance sequence where there's this amazing interpretation dance. And we 
But we conclude with this scene of uh, Jake accepting an award with old man makeup on in front of a crowd of people with old man makeup on. But it's like very fake. So what does the film mean? What I have read the film to mean is that the whole film is actually from Jake's experience. I think Jake is the protagonist character. Um, I think it's just a mislead that you think that the young woman's the main character. Um, what I think... I think that this film is showing the point in Jake's life where he either, one, had a girlfriend, and it's talking about the most significant moment in his life, which is when this girlfriend met his family and then broke up with him, and how that set him down the path of failure and existentialism and a nondescript life, because this girlfriend is so amazing. She does all these things. She's a scientist, blah, blah, blah. And then there's such a focus on how this woman interacts with Jake. It's about how Jake was a smart child. It's about how um, Jake isn't very social. And yeah, so that's one uh, fraction. The second one, which I think is has got to be the truth, is that this is an imagined interaction. None of this has actually happened. It's Jake playing out his ideal scenario where he has met the girl that he wishes to fall in love with. And then he's playing through the different things that she could do and playing through the different scenarios, how they get along in the family meetings, how it could hypothetically go. Um, a key sign of evidence to this is when they, uh, the janitor is in the lunchroom watching the movie and he watches this movie within a movie and it's this romantic comedy scene. And then later on, they reference this scene. So that's why, uh, you know, uh, Jake and young woman reference this in at his house. So I think that the whole thing is the imagination of Jake imagining the hypothetical dream girl, imagining a hypothetical meeting with her, and then perhaps Hail Mary pass here. The end, he's having a heart attack or something. He has this vision about the pig with the um, underbelly eating him, and so that's him about to die, and so he's going through all this process. Not sure if I'm sold on that part, but definitely the whole thing is Jake's imagination. Finally, I just remember the last thing I have to say, the speech at the end of the film the reason everyone's in old makeup is because it's Jake, Jake's imagination. He's imagining it and it's not actually him as old. He's imagining what it would look like if he was still with or hypothetically with this girl. He's accepting awards. She's helped him be his best self. Everyone in the audience, they've grown old together. He's been a success. They've got face paint. They're oldies. And then he sings this amazing song. And yeah, that's the film. All right. Do you want to know how you did? There are definitive answers here. Well, it's based on a book, right? So I could, so like, I obviously Googled it after I, and I got a lot of context from what happens in the book. Do you want to hear what? Yeah, absolutely. What about, do you know Rob or have you read about it? Yeah. Well, from the videos that I've watched, that's touched on that. Um, yeah. The context in terms of the book and sort of, cause I think the book gives you some more answers um, and I guess, well, for me, that's my main problem with this is that it seems like you kind of have to go to the book to get the answers of how to interpret the film. And I think it's a big thing for me is a film and how it will, like, I think there's a, a, there's a line in, in terms of ambiguity. Like I look at films like 2001 Space Odyssey and that like it has enough else sort of going for it that makes you forgive its complete sort of like con sense of confusion that you'll get after watching that. Um, and same with films like The Lighthouse. Like it's got enough going haven't for finished. it that. Haven't yeah, seen don't it spoil yet. Don't spoil it. 
<laughs> it's I won't spoil it, but it's kind of this whole like you watch that film and Dude, you sort stop. of have <laughs> no stop. idea what's going Find on. Find a different example. <laughs> I, I'm not I'm not going to spoil it, but I'm just saying it's ambiguous, but to the right level. Whereas for me, this film because it's so reliant on the book and I think it's just been made inaccessible by Kaufman and how he's handled it, which is probably my main, um, yeah, sort of criticism. So, Rob, I would love to engage with you on a discussion about genre and responsibility and stuff like that, but I'm itching to find out how I went. So if we could just put a pause on that for a temporary pause. Yeah, so I got it. You were pretty good, Tob. Um, I'm just going from what I've read about the book and then kind of put it together. So I think when we're talking about the, like Rob was talking about the trailer, Shaggy was talking about the trailer before and about the kind of horror style, I think the book is meant to be more kind of sinister in that regard I, from what I have read. Um, and the, the, he switched the tone. I think he took quite a few liberties with the book and switched the tone a bit. But anyway, the book allegedly. Um, at the end, it's kind of all revealed that it is kind of all going on in his head and that the main character is Jake, right? So it's like him imagining this interaction that he had with this girl at trivia one time and he's imagining what could have happened if he had have had the confidence or whatever to go and do it and speak to her. And so that's why like he's imagining all these scenes and then all these different parts of his life and he's not really sure like when his life, everything's happening. So that's why there's all the different aging and stuff like that. Um, and so another big part of it, yeah, so that's, that's kind of the main thing. So Jake is the janitor and that's, so you're pretty good. Um, and so, yeah, and the, what I've also read. Can I get some that, air horns? Can I get some? Yeah, some, I'll edit uh, them in. Pew-pew-pews? I mean, I'm pretty impressed because like when I watched it, I didn't really have any idea. And especially because like you or dad or someone had said to me like, um, you find out at the end what happens, but it's like, no, you don't find out at the end what happens. So I think it's a, a fair critique probably on Rob's behalf that um, it is very ambiguous and it's a pretty good reveal, I think, to not make it a bit more explicit. I think the thing that... I was supposed to watch this in prep, but I forgot to... I didn't get the chance. Um, I felt like there was a key read-in moment, like how to interpret it when they left the house. Like, they're, talk- they're driving in the car. I felt like that was a very um, insightful scene just afterwards because they talk about, like, meeting the parents and um, it's about sort of how she behaved and then he's sort of, like, feeding her lies, sort of, but they're not lies because they could have been true and stuff like that with the wine. Um, yeah. It's this... Yeah, I think there's a bit of a secret to what's going on there. Um, well, it's then- almost like... The the thing that's interesting about it is that because it all takes place within his imagination, within his head, um, it's like kind of unreliable unre- narrator, but like on steroids, you know what I mean? So it's like not only is he an unreliable narrator, but like um, the young girl is also an unreliable narrator in terms of what happens. And so obviously she's jumping through all these different things and they're all recounting the story and everything differently. Um, the thing that I think becomes kind of cool about it um, with that understanding is the f- like all the different references to other things. So um, there's obviously like lots of comments. They talk about like, um, so for example, like, you know, that poem that she in on the, the car right there, that big poem that she says she made up. 
Here, let me like, do a brief read-in. Because it, it was a fantastic poem. Don't you think? Bone Dog by Eva HD. I'll just do the first bit. Wow. Wow. Okay. Coming home is terrible. Whether the dog licks your face or not. Whether you have a wife or just a wife-shaped loneliness waiting for you. Coming home is terribly lonely. I'm rolling my eyes. So that you think eyes. of the oppressive bar <laughs> barometric pressure back where you have just come from with fondness. Because everything's worse once you're home. You think of the vermin clinging to the grass stalks, long hours on the road, roadside assistance and ice creams, and the peculiar shapes of certain clouds and silences with longing because you did not want to return. Coming home is just awful. Brief extract. Yeah, and so there's a moment in the when she's in Jake's bedroom and she kind of stumbles across that poem, right? So that's like a bit of a reveal. Another thing is like, you know, the big speech at the end that he gives, it's actually lifted from a film that I watched recently. Um, it's called A Beautiful Mind and it was like the best picture oh. in 2001 or something like that. And it's got Russell yeah. Crowe in it. And so he plays this like um, physicist with schizophrenia and that's like his Nobel Prize speech. Oh, yeah. So I was watching it and I was like, I feel like I know this. And that's like the crazy. thing that's interesting about it is that like I watched, I remember when I watched the actual film, I was like, there's no way this guy said this in real life. And like, of course he didn't, like it was made up for Hollywood. His real Nobel Prize speech. I don't even know if he gave a speech or something like that. So I think that's, so I think the literary stuff and like cross references to different films and books and stuff like that are meant to be about, I think like it's like one, how a lot of our personalities are shaped by the things that we consume. <laughs> and so then that goes so far as that like when he's imagining this person everything that is coming out of her is like a reference to something that he already knows already do you know what i mean like it can't go be, she can't exist outside of what he already knows in, yeah. himself yeah i felt like that was a clue you know the fact that um she, like they had complete conversations about things that he was interested in um and obviously the fact that you see her artwork in the basement and you see the um the poem and stuff like that. Like, it's kind of cool though because she looks so uncertain when she like sees that she hasn't come up with it. And like, I suppose that that implies a sort of um, like you feel sorry for her, like because she's losing her identity, sort of, but because she doesn't exist. But you know what can I, mean? I sort of interject there? I think that's a problem that I have with this is that it's so I found it going in, like, writing the sort of the journey of the film, you could say, I found it quite misleading and sort of alienating. Like, I didn't feel treated well as an, a viewer because of how it seemed to me that the, that the woman, and can I just say, I think it's really pretentious to call your character young woman. Like, I, I think that says all you, all you need to know about you know, just the sort of state of this film. It just comes across as so pretentious to me and that's like some, like the opposite of what you get taught in film school. Um, and so that frustrates me and, and, on the, and having like these random poems that are meant to be deep and meaningful sort of just thrown in there, that it really, it feels like it's forced reflection and like, oh, this will really make the audience think about themselves. <laughs> um, that's what it feels like to me, but back, sorry, back to my main sort of thing, sort of on what you were saying and ice and how it's through like his perspective and the idea that she doesn't exist. Like maybe that's a cool, that could be a, a cool idea if executed correctly. But I think 
part of it that made that felt alienating to me is like when she's in the car ride and she sort of looks out the window and like she sees that billboard and the pig is like on the billboard and he sort of says like come join me and you sort of think oh is she going crazy is she and I'm really confused and interesting interested to know what you guys think how does that relate to his mindset if we're going with the interpretation that he's imagining everything because it's sort of like what what how could that sort of connect and link up and then there were these strange techniques as well where she like there was that one particular shot where they sort of almost break the fourth wall and she looks directly i don't know if you remember but she looks directly at the camera and all of that sort of yeah. stuff really mm-hmm. confused me and just it was just too jarring to me to feel like i'd been put so clearly sort of in her shoes and then it's just hard for me to detach and go okay this is him thinking about her this fake person's perspective of seeing random things like i don't know that yeah maybe maybe i'm just not capable of interpreting the intellect behind this film but i'm not sure i mean they're all good points and it's i i think what it's two hours and like 15 minutes long and you know even though i like I'm probably obviously reflected on it probably more positively than Shaggy, but it's like, it's a long two hours and 15 minutes, regardless of whether you think it's good or bad. I think like it's so dense and there's so much dialogue that yeah. um, it, it it's a bit exhausting. And I think like I was happy that I watched it alone by myself and really got to like kind of chill out and take toilet breaks and stuff like that, because mm-hmm. I think it's the sort of thing. And if you were watching with other people, like you'd be just, like you just be sitting next to someone and know that, you know, most, a lot of people would be thinking the same thing Rob's thinking, like this is pretentious, blah, blah, blah. So I don't know. I think it definitely is something that you does kind of want repeat viewings and considerations, but you know, whether you think it's worthy of that in the first place is a different question as well. Yeah. I think the, we got through a bunch of it before we went to the, for the toilet break and like, I was making sure to wait on it because I just had an instinct that I was like, I feel like we're not as far as it feels like we're into this. And then we pause and it's halfway and everyone's like, what? Yeah. <laughs> like... I was I was 15 minutes in. I was convinced I had half an hour left. <laughs> but <Yeah. I> didn't. <laughs> just chalk that up for like another reason that film shouldn't go for more than two hours. Actually, so yeah, I actually read about <laughs> this. Um, So the first, the first car scene is apparent. Oh, this is according to IMDb. The first car scene is apparently 17 minutes and 15 seconds. And then the second car scene is apparently 22 minutes and 37 seconds. Wow. So having, you know, 40 minutes of straight dialogue kind but of... But that was... That, that's like a thing. I thought the car seemed very theatre. And as someone who doesn't... Hasn't seen any theatre, I profoundly <laughs> mean that. Like, it, it did feel like a stage play where they're just talking about things. Um, one thing that I liked about it and the car scenes was... I felt like it was an introduction to philosophy. You know, like they're throwing out so many things at you, so many famous ideas as well. I think it's really cool like that. Um, but I also loved when he, when she roasted Freud, Nick. Um, I really loved the idea. Like, I really loved that point particularly where she's like, oh, cool, blame women. Blame Everyone else does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> yeah. there's also that part about um, baby, it's cold outside. Yeah. Which is, which is all, and this is all a bit interesting is the fact that you know, even if it's in his imagination, he's getting this kind of rebuttal at the same time. So there's like two sides yeah. to it. There's the fact that they're having these like deep intellectual conversations and like he's keeping up with her, right? So there's this element to where it's like in his fantasy, like he's always going to be as smart or like smarter than mm-hmm. whoever this girl happens to be. 
But then obviously this janitor character is also like so insecure or like whatever that he can't help but think that um, there's still going to be that like pushback as well. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And like, even if you go so far as her thinking about wanting to end things with him, with him and all of that. With not meaning to toot my own horn, um, toot toot. But um, by all means, do it. We're big <laughs> fans. Um, going back though, I'm still interested to hear what you guys think in terms of yeah, like when she's seeing those sort of trippy things on the car on the car trip. What is what does that what is that supposed to represent in terms of his psyche if the whole thing is through his perspective? To me, that stuff functions as clues more than anything. I think that is just like serving the narrative rather than serving bigger meaning. I think they're just like glitches in his imagination or memory, sort of. Um, and then I think it's I think that's like a tonal thing as well. I don't think that I can't think of story meaning behind that immediately. What about you? I mean, yeah, I'm kind of similar. Like, I haven't thought about that specific i don't know like i haven't really worked that out either it, it's interesting like it, it does make me want to read read the book to be honest like um and you know like i i think i will agree with shaggy about the kind of i think that you could have revealed it and it wouldn't have and it would have been okay like i don't think you need he needed to avoid necessarily really kind of spelling out what's happening because you've still got to like digest the f- first two hours of the film you know, regardless of whether you know or not, this just makes it a little bit more difficult. Mm. Um, so hypothetically, could you, do you think you could have dealt with the film better if it was shorter? Because that's what I'm left wondering at the end, because like, uh, sorry, I have, have set up a question just so I can answer it. But like, I feel like I, I'm not completely opposed to not knowing what's going on the whole time. Like I sat there thinking, sure, this is pretentious and douchey, and like, you know, is it too much? But I also thought like, I'm glad some people are out here making these movies, you know, like if, if it's not like, I'm just glad that Charlie Kaufman somehow convinced a studio that this is a film that they should fund and that they should make this movie. And like, it makes like, I'm glad that we're taken to this space of thinking deeper and thinking harder. Like, so I, I guess I'm saying like, if they cut it shorter, could you handle less time of being uncertain of what's going on? Because I think myself yes you would have liked less time of it being uncertain is that what you're saying sorry i'm saying if it was shorter i would have liked it more and been more okay with the fact that it's very confusing well first of all i think i mean i agree it's good it's good that films like this that are less conventional are being funded and distributed i i on sort of a larger platform especially like netflix I definitely agree on that. I would probably say, well, that's the beauty of A24. I think watching, I, after watching um, a, a, a few movies from them. But wait, sorry, is this is not an A24 film though, is it? No, no. Um, See, so look at what A24 but, has done to us. It's the fact that a film distribution company <laughs> has claim over all interesting movies, apparently. <laughs> Man, I, it's like the indie giant, isn't it? Well, I think that's the thing, though. If A, A24, it almost feels like it could be an A24 film, but the, I think it's not good enough 
to be an A24 film for like that exact reason. It goes on... But it's not like all A24 films Have you seen It Comes at Night, Rob? We haven't... Yeah. But I would say... Have you seen it? No, I haven't. But I would say the... We're all out here watching the highlight reels. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Hold your tongue on the A24 (laughs) until you watch It Comes at Night. Well, I've seen First Cow and that, that didn't exactly do it for me, but... I think... Was Ghost Story A24? Yes, and I, I'm a fan yeah. of Ghost Story. Um, Interesting. See, I would... Oh, sorry, I don't want to no, go on. cut go off on. your point. Well, I just feel like I prefer this to Ghost Story. Like, Ghost Story is like being artsy hypothetically. Like, it's going like, wouldn't this be cool? But it doesn't really commit to anything. Like, it's it's sort of a broad reflective piece. Whereas this is like, let's fucking go at it. Let's like throw Freud. Let's throw... Like movie analysis, how great was it when she whips out the cigarette and starts talking like a film so, critic? And that is like an actual um, criticism from a film critic from the seventies. So like that's, yeah. and that's playing into the whole thing where, um, you know, it's something that he's read that he's imagining her saying. Do you know what I mean? Without so yeah, without like go- a, yeah, ghost story. Go. Without without turning this into a, a ghost story discussion, I think that's the best part of the pod. Just <laughs> talking about other films in the middle. Well, I think. In terms of that film, it's good, I think, because it gives audience... Even though they didn't really handle it that well, it gives audience audiences a clear view in... Like, a clear window into how to interpret the film. Whereas with this, um, I'm thinking of ending things. I just... Again, it comes back to that level of ambiguity. And I just think... Um, I'm sort of losing my, my train of thought here, but I think... It just, again, it just doesn't, it just leaves an audience frustrated, like, especially towards the end when suddenly it turns into a dance sequence. I'm just like, why am I watching this? It feels like Kaufman's sitting there going, haha, I'll just add in something else random. This will really confuse him. Like, it just, it didn't Did you appreciate feel the friendly. dance? Could you see no. yourself? You didn't like it at all. I didn't like you it at, at all. If you had paid to see a dance recital and that's what you got, would you have liked it? <laughs> well, just by personal taste, I probably wouldn't pay to see a dance. Okay, recital. so you're at the you're at you're at a footy game and they've got halftime entertainment and it's that. Would you go take a piss and get a beer or would you watch the dance? He was already probably, doing that regardless of probably the, the latter. I mean, probably the latter. I just I just think that I guess remembering sort of what I was originally going to say is that films like A Ghost Story, I feel like they have enough going for them in the other aspects of the film so to plot. make me, yeah, in, well, <laughs> yeah, in, apart from plot, like like they have I'm like cinematography, um, so you, you know, this, like, went, this you film looked like good, it. yeah. So it aesthetically, did. you went into it either, Rob. Well, I, re, I thought the production design was good. I thought that it had some really interesting imagery, but I thought, for me, that was the only... Like, I mean, sure, you like acting performance-wise was good, but I think in I terms of... The... Well, I thought she was really... Like, Jesse Buckley was really, really good. And, yeah. Oh, they're both Jesse. And Jesse Plemons. Like, he's Mr. Our Mr. man. Everybody. He's like, made it... It's he's great to see Ox though. back in action, basically. He started... <laughs> he... Have you seen Like Mike, Rob? No, I haven't. Oh, he's well, he's a, a he's the bully in Like Mike. He'll so forever be us. He'll forever be the bully from Like Mike. He was, well, but anyway, he is an actor that like I think of as the character rather than the actor. Like after I get over the initial shock, I'm fully immersed. He's really good. I just think, sure, the acting performances they were good. The, like the cinematography, um, production design was good. 
But in terms of the scales of negativity and positivity, there's just too much negativity stacked onto one side that it just tips it for me. I just can't okay. view it if favorably. If I can challenge you to like think less critically and ass- like you know, we- I think the audience understands you really don't like this movie. <laughs> can you talk about it a bit more third person and start unpacking ideas and saying, "I think I would have liked to have done this." He's al- he's also entitled to say, "I don't I don't think this film is worth me unpacking the ideas." Yeah, fair <laughs> enough. Is that your stance, Shag? That's his stance. Well, I would probably never say that a film is unworthy of being unpacked. I think I would okay. I would say a film can be unworthy of being rewatched. But I think if you, it's almost fair to yourself that if you've sat down for two hours and used two hours of your life to watch something that you do unpack and try and understand what the um, the director was trying to do. And, and again, just in terms of film criticism in general, I tend to look at films when I rate them as every film is a five-star movie and then docking stars based on what isn't good about it. And because I think it is important to consider there's hundreds of people that have poured like a year of their lives and a whole bunch of man hours into making this. And so, you know, what I'm sort of saying is probably if, if any of those people were listening to this podcast, they probably wouldn't be too happy. And I, and I think that definitely, you know, I, I, I'm saying everything, what I'm saying with like an element of sort of jest to it like if i if i knew the people that made the film i wouldn't be talking about it like this i'd be much more focused on the positives and there's definitely yeah. positives to it but i just think let's hear some well act, i mean i think we've already touched on them acting production design sort of some creative choices there i think was was good but it's and i could expand on those but i don't think it would i think everyone who watches the film will know what I'm talking about in terms of those aspects being good. I, yeah. If you kind of get me. I think that's an interesting rating thing. Good brother. Explain me your ratings. My ratings aren't thought out that much because I don't have as much writing on it as a non-film student. But I just like to think that if I, I don't know, if I have like a kind of gut instinct reaction to something enough, like, then it might be like in four territory, but then otherwise it's kind of either up or above, up or like below or above. Um, if I really like something, I try not to overthink it and just kind of give what I feel like at the time. I don't know. I'm not going to put it down to numbers. I'd rather, much rather people go on YouTube and watch my video essays. It's my don't exist yet i think i think i look at it more so because i like to put myself in the position of the filmmaker and go okay if if it was my film and i was getting a whole bunch of negative reviews i i don't or positive i don't want reviews saying oh my gut feeling told me i like this i want to know as a filmmaker (laughs) how how can i improve this how or what could i have done better so i guess that's why i look at it more like a like an exam sort of star marking yeah. because I feel like yeah. that's how I 
ethically and like morally justify actually rating films in the first place by mm-hmm. you know having some That's well put yeah although i don't i highly doubt Kaufman's going on Letterboxd and going oh what's what's this robert hess bloke saying surely, about my film? surely <laughs> Surely he drops his film and just like fucking disappears for like two months yeah. because it'd be too much, too much. They'll say it's a classic in five years. I'll hide out till then. <laughs> well, but I mean, there'd be too much people telling you you're a genius at the same time. Or maybe it's like, mm. you know, because any the average person who stumbles across this on Netflix is probably going to, you know, hate it. Hate it. Surely. <laughs> so. It had 79 or something on Metacritic. I just don't. I think that's critic score, actually. No, that's but, critics. Like, yeah. You mean the I user mean- review? Yeah, what was the I don't know, but I also think that like film people flock to this sort of film to give it and say they understand it as well. I think it goes well, both ways. I did ways. understand it, so like, I'm allowed to give <laughs> no, a good review. But it's definitely the sort of thing where both you I think you probably do need to give it time to settle before you work out where it sits in yeah. the kind of ranking of things because if anything's this meta, like obviously there're going to be people who'd be like this is amazing, you know, it's so smart. Mm-hmm. He's 10 steps ahead of everyone. But then also maybe the things that seem um, kind of novel and all that sort of stuff wear off after a bit. So it, I think it is kind of hard to tell with this sort of film. Well, one one positive thing that I have thought of in more so in that's maybe a bit more nuanced in terms of like the dialogue. I like the point that um uh, the the young woman character um was making when she was sitting in the car and reflecting on how she doesn't know how to say no to people. And how it's much easier to say yes. And I don't know, for me, that resonated with me, that idea of sort of finding yourself in the sort of situation that she was. But then, like, a moment like that in a film is something that will stay with me. And generally, if I watch a movie and it has something that, you know, a moment like that, that sort of, it, you know, something that, sort of, that I guess resonates with you. I'm repeating myself, but I guess that's the best way to describe it that's when I'll tend to look upon something more favorably. But that moment was good, but then it's like the overall sort of premise or reveal of the film is that she's not even a real character. And it's and then how do I... So that undermines that for you? It does, because it's like, well, how does that relate to him? Because he's not in a position where he finds himself saying yes to things I don't think. Because for me, that feels... You know, like, what if it's his like insecurity playing out in that he thinks that someone who's on a date with him or going to visit his parents is only there because they're just saying yes? Mm, I think that was a key thing. That's true. That's that's a good. That's point. why she's thinking of anything things in in the first place, even though we're from his perspective, right? But I think for me, I don't. Maybe that's just a personal thing for me, but I don't resonate it. Res it doesn't resonate with me through his lens it resonates through her character lens but then her character is defunct so it's hard for me to sort of you know get my head around that i i mean i there's also the other way of looking at it in like you look at her as a character that is like there's the 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 perspective of it through like his lens in that you're looking at her as a character as some idealistic thing and so there's i think sympathy for the fact that he views, I guess, kind of women in that sort of way as well, in that, um, you know, this person who must be dating him has to be all these things to be, like, you know, worth it and all that sort of stuff. So I think there's, like, a different level of sympathy that I kind of I kind of found in that, in that how, like, ridiculous his imagination of a fake person was. Because obviously this girl, this girl was perfect. Like, 
you know, you're watching those dinner scenes where she he, she's talking to the parents and like they're being really weird and confronting and she's handling everything like completely perfect and stuff like that. And there's a scene like where she kind of leans and puts her head on his dad and <laughs> yeah. it's all just like insanely unrealistic for what would happen, you know? And then there's that interaction she has with the janitor at the end in the hallway and she, he's like, she's like, oh, have you seen my boyfriend, Jake? And he's like, I don't know who's Jake. And then she's like, starts like ripping into him. She's like, I don't even know him. He's like, yeah. a mosquito, blah, blah, That's blah. Um, I kind of liked it being told through her perspective, to be honest. I thought like, if you tell this story through like a mopey kind of old man sort of figure, it's like a drawn out kind of tortured um, thing that's been done before. I thought it was a kind of interesting way to put it. Personally. Yeah, I can... I can commit to that idea much more than that. I think it's amazing that they've made a film that switches perspective so cheeky. Like that, I thought that was brilliant. That's a <laughs> yeah. You put that really, really strongly. <laughs> I thought this is I thought a it was cheeky so film. Cool. <laughs> I thought it's just so smart to write. Like because we've been talking about like perspective and whose story it is at film school. Cue the music. But it's like you people can't make movies that are about two perspectives so this is genius because it's not you know it's not her perspective it's his perspective it's brilliant i think that's so smart i'm glad i'm just glad someone pulled that off again um and then like i think talking about this thing i think the the context becomes a lot more interesting and a lot more uh i don't know i suppose condemning of male perspective when you start thinking about this stuff a bit more thoroughly like because he completely is a um what you, what's the word what's the like the the word they use to describe joker the people who an the characters are he's yeah he, he drifts towards that territory if it's all in his imagination and it's all like he's he completely is playing the victim to this female character mm. like he's like oh why she want to break up with me because she doesn't actually exist you know what i mean like it, it it's him playing victim for himself which is and, but that's it also brings light to the kind of stuff that you know and i relate to some of this like um when it's the parents talking about him at the table and about trivia and they talk about how like oh he's not as confident or he's like he but he's cute and that sort of thing and it's the sort of shit you tell yourself all the time to justify why you don't do things or why maybe things aren't working out for you in a certain way or why like a girl isn't talking to you and i just i don't know i found that stuff like kind of a bit bang on in like the, the stuff you make up in your head that to, to justify that sort of thing um and and you know like the whole stuff about the diligence um the pin and stuff like that <laughs> so i thought funny, that was all yeah. pretty funny and yeah did you find the film funny i found it funny i was laughing yeah i found it funny as well times. i thought i thought the the dinner scene was pretty funny particularly and funny. like the basement thing where she like pump fakes him was pretty funny and um and the dog shaking's really funny like the whole dog itself it just appears and then it's shaking and it's always and the you don't exact see it. same but, okay angle. so is that is that that the dog is he doesn't remember what the dog looks like maybe that's kind of my interpretation for that yeah that's not a bad idea i just i just thought it was i thought it was a clue to that things aren't as they seem but i hadn't thought of more meaning than that the other thing that jumps out to me in terms of kind of clues is when she because i mean i had thought my hunch was that they were the same person and then I don't know like how, but obviously they kind of are the same person in the end. But then there's that scene where they look at the paint, the, the picture on the wall of young Jake and she's like, isn't that me or whatever. Oh, how cool is that as well? That was so well done. That was good. That was um, good. They had a few moments like that. And obviously the continuity, as I referenced in my intro, was very 
cooked. You saw that, right? <laughs> like she's wearing a jumper sometimes, her hair's up, her hair's down. Like, I thought it was a reference was... to Shaggy's continuity. I didn't know we were talking about this <laughs> Thank you very much. I'm proud of my yeah, that was, continuity. That was the I'm role kidding. that he actually did properly. Oh, that's so what I thought. He's of... up there, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's what I mean. I thought you were having a dig and I was like, oh, you just got on the show. We're very grateful to have him. <laughs> no, I was. I thought you guys would have, you know, the continuity is gapped in this film. I, I noticed it as a deliberate device, especially with the Band-Aid on... Um, on uh, the head of the father, but I sort of Ludy Lupin. Yeah, yeah, Professor, Professor Lupin. Lupin. He's good. I... He's creepy. That's have scary, you is he? have you seen? Have you either of you guys seen? Um, so this is interesting because the Fargo connection. Like, um, mm. Jesse, what's his, Jesse? What's his name? Oh, he's a villain in Fargo, isn't he? So he's Jesse anyway. Plemons. Jesse oh. Plemons is in season two of Fargo, and then the villain in season three of Fargo is his dad, um, British man David Thewlis or whatever yep. so he's like he's like an actor that i kind of hate to see but he's obviously like a really good actor like, i don't know scary. if you guys remember that he's just creepy yeah yeah and the way he like kind of do, like s- delivers a line like very slowly mm. yeah exactly we'll describe rob leaning over and imitate <laughs> <laughs> how good was it when he hugged her at the end like the tension in that yeah like she's leaving the house and he's young again and he's like sort of doing this like predatory man behavior hug it was mm. Yeah, the acting performances were impressive from both him and Tony Collette. Were re- it, I got some real, like, midsummer vibes. I think there was something that actually... Sorry, not midsummer, um, hereditary vibes. There was something that made me laugh, actually, with talking about the film being funny was... I mean, I'd like to think in some sort of alternate universe, this is a deliberate reference to hereditary, where I think the Tony Collette's character said, like, oh, it's always, like, I end up losing my head. Or something like that. And, you know, spoilers for Hereditary, but she ends up getting decapitated. Well, there we go. There's an answer. <laughs> and, um, I just found that really... Just when you thought you were safe. <laughs> it found... It found... It, it just... Yeah, it made me have a laugh, that, because I felt like her character was a bit simil- similarly unhinged and... Yeah. She loves a good unhinged character. Yeah, so that, that was something that made me laugh, although I feel like that was probably unintentional. Although, if it was intentional, Kaufman's a genius, and maybe it'll change. <laughs> and it's a five-star movie. <laughs> and three, point, three stars for that one. So, we've sort of danced around it for this episode, but I want to finally dig into it. Like, what are the obligations of, uh, like, marketing your film and creating a plot? And basically, that relationship with the audience. Watching this, I had very strong Mulholland, vibe, uh, Mulholland Drive vibes. Uh, first of all, I'd like to hear Shaggy comment on that because I know that Shaggy gave Mulholland Drive a good review on Letterboxd. See, yeah, that, um, I agree. I was thinking about that as well because I, I, I knew that because I really liked Mulholland Drive as well. I know that you didn't love it, Tom. I watched it and I finished it and I don't know. I was influenced by other people, but everyone was like, it's really good. And I was sort of left going, well, I didn't really love it. but like. So what makes this like, work, Shaggy, like where Mulholland... Which what makes this not work where Mulholland Drive does? Well, again, it's it's about the scales for me, and there was moments in Mulholland Drive that I found that did resonate with me, and just thematically, it was more like easy for me to accept because I'm really fascinated by the whole dream idea that I think Mulholland Drive goes into, and there were just moments like ethereal ethereally if that's the correct way to say it that really sort of 
hit me and Mulholland Drive. And even though maybe it does fall into that zone a bit that I was complaining about where it's like, oh, you've sort of got to research it a bit yourself and it's not that easy to access as an audience member. I thought that there were mo like the way that that film kind of tied up was a much neater and felt more cathartic. And also Mulholland Drive has these miniature like old people in fast motion screaming their heads off, which I'm like, how can you not love a film that does something like that? <laughs> um, well, it's funny because it, Tom, I know Tom didn't like the dialogue in, in Mulholland Drive particularly, but I really liked liked the way everything was delivered in that weird alien sort of way. Well, it's sort of deliberate. Yeah. That's the thing. It's a It's a deliberate choice and it's sort of even like taking a bit of a stab at at like traditional Hollywood and it so it feels well, I've heard that now like I can, you know I watched I not watched Nerdwriter's video on that <laughs> like, I haven't seen it he talks about how oh really he talks about how there's like deliberate ADR but I was watching it and just the way it was lit and the delivery I was like what the heck like is this serious but, but is it deliberate yeah, so ADR because I'd read that it it whooshed me the the reason it's so disjointed or maybe one of the reasons is because it was meant to be he was commissioned to make a tv show or something like that and then he cut it together to be a film mm. in the end that's like story wise but like I, I think production wise there are things that don't that are quite confusing i think how it comes down to it though is in retrospect knowing after watching the film i can look at my and drive and go okay these are specific creative choices that have a sort of clear thematic or sort of overall purpose whereas i look at this film and it seems like there's a lot thrown in there that's more about how I interpret it, that's more deliberately confusing and deliberately jarring and unpleasant to view as a or as a viewer. And I guess and and upon further research, it's not like I've sort of had a moment where I've gone, Oh, that sort of all clicks. I can see why they've chosen to do that. It just seems like there's a whole bunch bunch of random things that have been jumbled together in I'm thinking of ending things like one shot that comes into my mind is like she looks out the window and the snow now is just falling on the car and there's and there's like a spotlight that on it. That was cool. It was uh, cool. Like it's a cool shot, but it's like why the heck is that in there? Like what does that I, add to the story? I feel like we're literally on the opposites here. I felt Mel Holland had more stuff that didn't make sense whereas this had like it made sense to me. Like cuz I sort of got that this wanted to disorient you and it wanted to challenge you to think. And I think it was a bit of like they threw a bunch of stuff at the wall and saw what sticks in terms of the philosoph- uh, philosophy stuff because there were parts that resonated with me in terms of thinking. Like, I really liked the poem, basically. I thought the poem was fantastic. Um, this idea of, of roasting coming home, which is previously thought of as so uh, positive and so nostalgically, I thought it's a really cool poem that it's like roasting... The, the sort of the uncomfort the discomfort of home well i think the difference though with Mulholland is that the randomness has more of a purpose because it specifically fits into like this is meant to be a dream sort of thing and yeah that's but what... this is meant to be imagination but this I is like... imagination <laughs> imagination doesn't work i might i mean mate i can't speak for everyone's thoughts thoughts and thought process but my imagination doesn't work 
like this. I don't just randomly imagine like a spotlight on the car with now the, the, just the snow is raining on there or, you know, stuff like that. It just, it pushed it too far. Like, I think it could have been good, but it just... I find it so similar. It, it feels like in in Mahon Drive where the... Basically, I think what he's doing by doing this stuff is exposing the seams of filmmaking. It's like going, you know that you guys are watching a movie, right? Like, you know that you're sort of idiots for expecting a plot. As a director, I can do whatever I want and you sort of have to watch it, right? So Which, we can get into obviously, if being called an idiot from the director might rub some people the wrong way. <laughs> I suppose that, like, I was joking, but that's sort of true. Like, but that's what Kaufman I, does. David Lynch I does could go not on, do that. I could go on, that is David Lynch, literally. I, I just disagree with you. <laughs> how, many, how many David Lynch films have you guys seen? I've only, I've only seen, seen that, so I can't really comment. Same, same. I Although I've watched a fair bit of him, like his thoughts as a person outside of it. But I just think all the decisions in Mulholland are carefully relevant. Like some, like the Hollywood stuff and that whole making, that whole making fun of like the dialogue and the lighting, it fits in with the actual narrative of the film because she, the story of the film is that she is an actress and that her sort of career has been destroyed and she's been mucked around with Hollywood. So it sort of makes sense that her dreams might consist of, you know, what you're seeing as an audience might have these sort of seams and these jabs at Hollywood and filmmaking because that's inherent to her character. Whereas it just doesn't seem like it has that thought out. These sort of random creative decisions in I'm thinking of ending things don't seem to have that basis in like, this is here for a purpose to me personally. Can I add a potential link? Um, I know that a big thing in this, one of the, the like literary references is like the play, uh, like Oklahoma. So that song that he sings at the end is from Oklahoma. And obviously there's that dialogue, dialogue about the Oklahoma. It's a good song. So, like so to me, maybe that sort of. And that, 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 sorry, just quickly. That, that scene where he's like, I just know Oklahoma. And then this, and then this, and then this. That was really funny as well. I think that the car scenes were deliberately shot in a way that makes it feel like a play. Like to me, that felt like a play setup. So maybe you can imagine that sort of thing with the snow on the car being like a set from the play, for example. So to me, I, I kind of, I didn't overthink it, but that kind of to me set, felt like leaning into that kind of play, heavy dialogue sort of thing that it was doing. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's an interesting point. Um, and I think quite probably quite a valid one i think maybe then more so it comes down to personal preference and i guess that kind of theater sort of maybe through his lens it just isn't as enjoyable to watch in a cinematic experience compared to making fun of cinema itself for me personally i think i mean but I, if, yeah yeah I, it's interesting with with i think things with lots of dialogue because you obviously, I think everyone who's into films loves certain movies or scenes where there's this like really, really good dialogue and it can go, you know, like obviously a, a, like Tarantino has those like long dialogue scenes, which a lot of people... Moonlight. Yeah, a lot. The final act of Moonlight. Even Kaufman's Eternal Sunshine, The Spotless Mind. I love the dialogue in yeah, that. Yeah, so it's interesting. Um, I think maybe the issue um, you have with it, Shaggy, to an extent is that the fact that the characters aren't grounded enough to really reward you for spending 17 minutes listening to them talk back and forth, maybe. That's fair. I think that's a good, that's a good summary, yeah. 
just quickly, when you were in primary school and you wrote your stories and then like you saw the clock was running out of time and then you put down and then it was all, turns out it was a dream. Oh, and then I woke up and then I woke up. Did you do that and was that an artistic choice when you did it? Because for me, it was just because I ran out of time. I was trying to explode the heads of my teachers. <laughs> they were like, what's going <laughs> I think, yeah, that was a... I used to... I didn't actually do that. I just used to add to be continued, dot, dot, dot. I remember in grade two, someone wrote unfinished business and I was like, how do you spell business? That's such a good idea. (laughs) (laughs) You'd spend spend Um, like your whole whole thing... You have like a 500 word um, limit on your stories. (laughs) And you'd spend the whole thing like building context and you've got to kill the villain in 50 <laughs> words. <laughs> I remember I did like a whole page of exclamation marks one time when I was in prep. <laughs> That's a Just, classic move. No! <laughs> man, you were writing exclamation marks when you were in prep. You're an intelligent yeah. man. <laughs> I had my pen license. I was Ooh. doing Excel spreadsheets as well. The whole Ooh. thing. The family's taxes. All those... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so another like broad film idea I want to touch on is like, is, does a film two, po- I just want to introduce the, the two points sort of. So it's like, first of all, does a film fail if you require extra research to watch it? Firstly, secondly, I think that that is an interesting thing because in, uh, last semester in film studies, we were talking about how, um, once a film's released, it doesn't matter what the writer intended because it's not in ownership of the writer anymore. It's actually in ownership of the public. So an example would be if you make a film that is maybe queerly coded and a lot of the audience is reading it as these two characters who are friends are actually in love and then the director's like, no, I didn't mean that. But then like, it doesn't matter because everyone thinks that. So it's like, does a film fail if you have to read more about it? Comment also on the fact that a writer doesn't have a con- doesn't have control of how you consume their film and think about it just, because I think it's an interesting dynamic in this. I'll just say one quick thing. I think it's interesting in terms of you have to acknowledge with a film like this kind of the context of what it comes out, like the fact. So this film came out on Netflix. It's not like maybe when Eternal Sunshine or one of the early ones came out, where you don't you could you know quickly jump on a. I mean, I guess, I mean, the internet was around, but it's not like this kind of culture where it's like, as soon as we finish watching the film, you can look it up. So it's like, maybe there's an element of making something like that nowadays where you know that a lot of it actually exists in the conversation around the film. So maybe you don't have to rely. I mean, maybe that's a cop out. Like, maybe I'm agreeing with you. But do you know what I mean? Like, you can't have this film and then not have a million people writing stories about what it all means and trying to interpret it on the internet, I think. So is it a failure if you have to research it more or not? I think you could make an argument both ways, to be honest. But like my experience of this Which film, do you feel? my experience of this film involves looking up what it meant after it and adding a lot of and making sense of stuff that happened um, in the film. Do you know what I mean? So I can't like comment on it strictly as a sole thing because I didn't experience it that way. Do you know what I mean? Did that annoy you or were you happy to do it? Just like give me like an emotive answer on this issue. Shaggy will have a emotive answer. <laughs> So that's why I'm pushing you because we need someone else on, you know, the other side. I mean, I don't, no, I, I don't really care. I bet I'm not as like committed to okay. film craft maybe as you two are, but I, I, I just like the conversation and all that sort of stuff as well, I guess. So you like it then? You're fine with people researching? That's what I'm gathering. It depends. There's an extent. I think I will admit that I was a bit kind of 
bummed at the end that I didn't work it out on the spot or whatever, but... I think the distinction, the clear distinction and just describing it is the terminology, whether you have to or whether you can. It's like, I think you should be able to down, like purchase a video game and play the game without having to look up like tutorials on how to do it online. Like I think within the game itself, there should be a way for you to understand and have a good experience. And maybe, you know, maybe it's going to be better if you go onto YouTube and search up Hess Royale and go, how do I actually <laughs> play this? But um, I think the same thing for me applies to films. If you can watch the film and still get something out of it without researching it, then yes, I think that's fine, even if there's a lot of it that is, you know, you're unsure of, and that is something that you can do in your spare time, then it maybe gives you a better experience, and maybe that even makes the film better because it makes you want to watch it again. But I think if a film is so disorienting, like I feel like this one was, that you you can't um, interpret it by yourself, in and and the rest of it doesn't stand up because I think a lot of the a lot of films that sort of do this, they have like a plot and a subplot, and one of them sort of runs through that's more sort of easy to follow, and then there's something else going on on top that's maybe that's maybe a focus of the film, but you don't have to understand that to then understand the subplot. Whereas with this, it feels like everything is sort of jumbled. Like, it's not like you can follow the plot of her going to meet his parents because it becomes so jumbled up that it doesn't make sense anymore at the end. Um, and so I think for me, yeah, basically after that long-winded response, it just comes down to if you have to um, research something to enjoy the film, then no, it's... I hate it. It's not good enough. But if there's <laughs> something that you can that you can get out of it that isn't just necessarily aesthetic, that's more plot based, then yes, it's okay. Does that sort of make sense? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think when um, a f- another thing that impacts this is like when someone goes weird on you and gets like artistic and philosophical and all that stuff, you sort of have to trust the person who's leading you down that path. Um, hence, for example, Ghost Story, just to, <laughs> the, the Holy Trinity is Ghost Story, Mulholland Drive, and, <laughs> um, thinking of many things, but, like, Ghost Story, I really liked the speech in the middle, where the guy, like, goes on the profound existence speech, basically. I liked it, it sounds like you didn't like it, whatever, not the point, um, but I feel like you, I, I didn't trust him for the whole movie. I was like, man, I trusted this guy with an hour 40 of my time and I don't know if I'm happy with what I got out of it. But like, I think Kaufman gives off Kaufman. he's a very, smart, a very smart guy. And like the fact that we can read into these different things, like we can make reads about you know, masculinity, we can make reads about existentialism, we can make reads about um, self-consciousness and confidence and stuff like that. I think this film even though it is so dense like i admire it because like there's something to bite onto whether you get it all or not um and then on a, an actual viewing experience level i i don't know about you guys but watching it i was still interested to see like there were the, the little hooks were still interesting enough for me that i wanted to see what was about to happen sort of thing even though it was a bit of a grind like when they're at the um the ice cream place. Like I wanted to know what was happening. That was sort of suspenseful and an interesting premise. 
And then when they're at the gym, I'm like, oh, what's going to happen here? This is pretty interesting. Like, there was still enough little threads for me to keep following the film along just on pure interest rather than from an intellectual standpoint. I would say there was zero payoff to Payoff. Payoff's a fair point. Like, you know, the film, the payoff, I suppose, is the reading of it, which doesn't happen in the actual film. It happens in the, the consumption and the, the reflection. So if you switch off, then you're going to miss that key part of the film experience. I think you make valid points that the hooks were good, but the, I guess, yeah, my issue is more the payoffs weren't there, I think. The, um, the double whammy of the pig was uh, funny and confusing as well. Like when he's like, like they really hitch a home there because he's like, do you want to see where the pig used to live? And then they cut to the where the pig used to live and he's like, and then it died of maggots. It's like, oh my god! Like, you know what I mean? It, it's this jump cut that's comedy, and then this like horrible thing, which is grotesque. Well, I feel like that is that dark comedy. Man. That scene, I think, was I, I thought it was interesting because she goes, "Oh, what's going to happen to the lambs?" And then that was like the first cut moment where it was like a really weird, awkward cut and um, like tonal shift. Because then he was like, "Don't worry about it." And, like he yelled at her straight away. I don't know. And that yeah. that was the kind of the moment where it started getting a bit whacker in terms of editing i guess but i mean but but to me that i think maybe reads as like he's you know like there's this girl and she's not think focusing on the things that he wants her to focus on in this in this um mm. i don't know that's how i interpreted that in his fantasy why was it in 4-3 well i'm not gonna pot shot it for being in 4-3 i like i like a bit yeah, of 4-3 why? Action. I, just, I just want i mean why why that's a good question i it feels strange, but to me, just ethereally, it just suits the whole like cinematography aesthetic. But I can't really put a put. It looked my like it was shot on film. Yeah, it almost the did. answers, but it had the grain and stuff. Yeah, and so maybe I wouldn't put it past someone who writes a script like this to shoot it in four three, so it's well, Academy, that, and so that, it's on you know. That's something I'd full. support. What do you think, um, Good Brother? Oh, I had all the telltale telltale signs of classic film. Um, no, I, I'm not sure. But I have no idea. In terms of four three, though, do you did think I like that it? Yeah, I thought it was cool. Purpose? I don't know. To me, I don't know. To me, maybe it. I I mean, I read the whole thing, even kind of without context. I I, it all kind of did seem like a play or something like that to me. So I don't know. To me, it 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 felt like part of making it not a film, or make making it less like it's obviously obviously watching a film. That's how I I read less that. Convention, less convention. Yeah. yeah. I think we're probably running out of time. Is that is that the beeper? Yeah, I think that's the timer. Unless Good Brother has any profound points, because I want to hear I want to hear a Good Brother take. Haven't you heard any Good Brother takes? I've been dropping takes. I've heard plenty. What do you think about the back and forth between Shag and I? About which part? Ghost. I haven't seen Ghost Stories. So I can't comment on that. <laughs> <laughs> True. We need to put that on the the recommended viewing before for the viewers, uh, the listeners. I don't know. Like, do you? I don't know. It's me making a point anyway. I, it's cool that we're we're arguing about it. Like, I think the film's probably made to do that to an extent. Well, I know oh, it's a cop out, but are we gonna end by giving out uh, what we give it on Letterboxd? Well, that's the timer right yeah, that's there. That's the timer. Actually. All right. So, ending questions. I'm gonna ask you both, Shaggy, Little Silky, what worked for you in this film? Little Silky, take the floor, mate. What worked? Um, I really enjoyed the the dialogue and pacing at certain it, to certain extents. I really enjoyed the 
the intellectual debates, basically. I thought the, the philosophical ideas they, they brought up were entertaining to me. I thought there were some good artistic thoughts that I haven't heard about myself. Like, I'm glad I, I've heard Bone Dog. I thought that was a really good poem. Um, I thought the film looked beautiful. I think the lighting and uh, the set design was really good. Um, I think I liked that it pushed me out of the box and it made me think about the film and unpack it. Um, finally, I'm just imp I really like that. Oh, sorry, not finally. The other thing I love that I would love to do myself is the the perspective shift. I loved, I loved the the payoff that you're set up to think that it's one person's perspective, but it's actually someone else's. Um, the film's really dense. There's a lot to unpack, and I like some of the stuff to unpack. What worked for you, Shaggy? Without um, getting into another debate, I think arguably there isn't a perspective payoff shift because I was almost still... It, I, it didn't really click with me that it was from his perspective until after the movie had finished and I was still sort of going from her point of view and not sure whether it was from her point of view. Maybe that's just me being slow as a viewer. But in terms of what worked for me, I'll echo your sentiment in terms of like the. it looked really nice, cinematography was really nice, I think... Acting performances are all fantastic. Um, and something as well I, that I did appreciate, that at least the long car scenes, it actually looked good. Like, it didn't look like fake, janky car. Like, it felt like a real car traveling through real snow. And, like, it felt sort of uneasy. I was always sort of afraid that they were going to, like, have a car crash or something. And so I think that was that was something that I do appreciate and that was done very well and I found I was sort of thinking about while I was watching it how have they actually achieved this because it's it's done really well there so that's something I something pos another positive thing I can say all right um we'll go back to you again Shaggy what would you change if wow. you can give us time. an abri give yeah. us a short, a short <laughs> I'm not, oh, wow. what would I change just I think it needs to be constructed in a way that has payoffs to the hooks that it sets up like it just, I just think it's, it, this is probably not fair because it's a very broad criticism, but I just think it needs to have more, it needs to have more accessibility for an audience member that hasn't read the book or doesn't, yeah, I guess just isn't, like it just, it, it feels like it went a step too far in going into like auteurism from Kaufman. And I think maybe they could have dialed back on like the dance sequence and things, I, I just find it hard to see how it fits into like like an overall experience for someone. But maybe again, look just trying to keep this quick, looking at myself though, maybe that's something I should, because you shouldn't have to make a film that pleases everyone. So I guess I can look at this and say, well, maybe this just, just wasn't my thing. I'm still happy that it was made if that makes sense, kind of what we were talking about before. I think it should be made. I'm happy it was made. I don't, I think it's great. If someone likes a movie, good for you. It just didn't sit well with me. But again, happy it was made. Go Kaufman. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what would you change? Um, I think the, yeah, it's probably, uh, it's too challenging in terms of thread line. I think it, it could have served the film to have 
a bit clearer indicators that it's imagined. Um, and basically my typical complaint, I think it's too long. I think we stay in some dialogue that I didn't enjoy as much as other dialogue. And I think some scenes just went too long. The, the other criticisms are just sort of tonal and like there's a certain amount of film watching that is just to your taste. But my, uh, my objective sort of opinions are that I think it should have been like 30 minutes shorter or at least 20 minutes shorter. And you could have cut some of the stuff that just thought wasn't as interesting to the, the themes of him imagining a perfect woman, which I think has to be the key theme. All right. Here's the big moment. Verdict. Who wants to go first? A little silky. Um, this uh, is a challenging film. Um, it's not the most fun to watch, but it's sort of fun to unpack, which, you know, some films just crumble like that. I'll give it um, that. I'll give it that. This is a challenging review, but I think... I will give it a three. Wow. I thought it would, I just, let's just say, I thought your review would be higher than that, considering you haven't really critiqued it much. Well, I did, I, I suppose I just defended it a lot <laughs> to, to give the alternative <laughs> perspective. I found, I found value in the film, but like, you know, I'm not racing out to watch that film again. There are other existential. This is the biggest curve. This is a bigger twist than the film. That's huge. <laughs> <laughs> this is my. But three is. Shaggy, Sorry, this is like my, my, no, but this is my number one critique with Tom's reviews on anything is that he'll like praise it. So like he'll, he'll write his letterbox review and it'll be 75% like just straight out, no, like 80% straight out praise. And then he'll be like, oh yeah. And then this was bad. Three stars. Like he doesn't. Well, cause I think that, I think that like the last two stars sort of come to taste. You know what I mean? Like three to four is a, is the, is the more like actual filmmaking but four to five is definitely a taste thing like when we were talking about hot fuzz hot fuzz is an extremely well-made movie but like i just it's not my favorite film ever so it's not getting a five it's not yeah i think i gave it either a four or four and a half like you have to love a film to give it a five i think you have to be fair to the filmmaker and say well what more could the filmmaker have done to appease you i did if you cut it if you cut it by by 30 minutes like i probably could have given it a four or a three and a half at least. Well, I think that makes, I think that's a very fair criticism, but I think in terms of what's stopping you from, I think you've surely, you've got to be able to give out some five stars, even if it's not your favorite movie. If it was, if it's perfect, construct. Yeah. If it was, no, I, I disagree. It's just like, obviously, because <laughs> surely, I wouldn't have said what I just said, but like, surely every <laughs> film should have the right to be known as, as, hundred percent well constructed even if maybe like it wasn't your favorite favorite thing in the whole world i just don't think that exists i don't think that someone can objectively say something was perfect and then not like it you know what i mean like obviously you had some issue somewhere along the line which is the reason that you don't love it That's to fair. call it a five star but i would you know I mean? just to quickly 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 interject you can edit this out if you want to, good brother. But oh, like, we will be. Don't worry. About that. <laughs> um, actually, only like, between Tom and I, we've <laughs> there's no special. <laughs> yeah, there. just edit. <laughs> I'm just the discussion prompter. <laughs> but yeah, quick on on that topic. Like for me, mid midsummer, 
I don't want to watch that movie again, but I give it five stars because I thought it was brilliant in what it did, but I found it so profoundly uncomfortable, some of the scenes in that, that I don't want to watch it. But for me, it's still a five-star movie. If that I still think sense. you liked it, though. You know what I mean? If you still gave it five, you had to enjoy the experience. You had to enjoy being scared to some extent. But I guess so, but I, again, like it's, it's not... I don't want to watch it again, but I still give it five, if that makes sense, but... Yeah, I, I can. I think it's it's fair to sixty percent. I think people. It took me a while to get my head around it, but it's not a bad score. Like it's, I think especially when you're going down to five stars and not ten stars, it's not bad. I think anything. Just double it. <laughs> yeah, well, well, anything above anything above two and a half and above is like this was like worth watching and you know, but yeah. yeah. So what are you giving it? I gave it a two. I think, like, it's impossible to ignore the production design and the acting was, like, phenomenal. And, yeah, so I've got to, I've got to acknowledge, right acknowledge that. I guess I have my own personal rating system and for me, two and a half is, like, um, oh, you know, there was, like, maybe, like, a major flaw that I couldn't overlook, but I still liked parts of it, whereas this is, like... There's multiple flaws, which is why I can't put it up to that yeah. 50% sort of mark. Based yeah. on how you've talked, it's a good yeah. rating. So, yeah. good brother. All right. Um, okay, well, I'm going to come in with someone who hasn't thought their rating system through nearly as much as you two. But um, I actually feel pretty positively. I like this film a lot. Um, I, I agree with... I, if I'm going to have, like, main qualms with it, I think that the ending was too ambiguous. Um, especially when I think it's a strong ending like I feel like you maybe should just give that to the audience and let them be rewarded with everything they just watched maybe or they sat through I, I do get that it's a bit pissy for that sense um, but like other than that I, I actually I thought the acting was really really good I thought that um, Jesse Buckley particularly was like awesome in this film and I don't know I just found it weird and uncomfortable and existential but also funny at the same time um, and I don't know, I, I feel like I got to ex experience all those things because maybe I watched it by myself and I was, you know, happy to pace myself. But I thought it was really cool and I really liked the concept. So I, I think I'm going to give it a four. I really liked it. Wow. Well, I think, I think it's good we have divided opinion because if I was a, a listener listening to this and who's someone who liked the film, I would probably hate having to listen to me continuously pot shot it. So I hope... If you've listened this far and you haven't liked my thoughts on this, that maybe Nick's views on it make you feel a little bit better. And but sorry for there'll, there'll be another app where you. where we watch, um, I don't know, something else, something you love. And well, you'll because be when we when we invited you to watch watch whatever you wanted, I thought you were going to choose Eternal Sunshine and come through and tell us how much you loved it and why. Well, you Well, this loved is it. what's good. I mean, you've got to play it because I also Tom. We haven't done stuff we've watched yet. I don't think apart from boogie nights but it'll be good to do ones that we have seen before and just have ones where we're just throwing love on it like i'm, I'm looking forward to doing those yep. those episodes as well this is this is the big announcement anyway next week we're going commercial we're going mainstream next week we've been off the beaten trail too much what's what's it gonna be i don't know there's two strong considerations come on tell us off the record <laughs> can be right. off the record that's all right we uh we're discussing f and uh, and 
All right, that is definitely the alarm. That is all we have time for tonight. Um, that's going to be the longest hour we've had yet. For the podcast that started with the humble goal of making a 30-minute show, here we are. <laughs> An hour and a half in. <laughs> all right, well, thank you so much for our special guest, Shaggy. Do you want to... We've absolutely loved having you on the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Um, it's an honor. I hope I haven't annoyed too many people with my opinions and... There wasn't much like thread to your points, like very confusing. Um, <laughs> well, no payoff. At least I, I didn't understand the point. I but... openly acknowledge that my opinions are subjective and not objective. Unlike so, well, online. you did hear the disclaimer at the start of the show. So. The show it's subjective. Um, any, I know you've done lots of plug-in already, but anything you want to plug before we wrap up? Uh, yeah, just just you, Hess Royale on YouTube and my Letterboxed, which. I believe is Hesse ninety nine. I might actually just look that up if you cut yeah, this out. You don't want to get that wrong. <laughs> you right. ought to get the letterbox wrong. Your plug no. some. Uh, you can follow me on Letterbox at Lil Silky, no spaces, um, L I L S I L K Y, and on Instagram at Lil Silky Official, but it's a private account, so I probably won't follow you back. <laughs> you can follow me at I'm Good Brother on Instagram. Look it up on YouTube. Shoulders music video. Which one is it? Well, this is funny. Um, I actually looked it up to see if there was a video of an Indian guy that pops up, and I don't, there, was, there was there wasn't there one. Well, there used to be, but not anymore. So, I think if you look up Shoulders Good Brother music video, it'll actually come up. So, so we're retiring the bit. We're retiring the bit. It's been a good five episode run. Four episodes. Okay. All right, Shaggy, what's your what is it? Ah, uh, sorry. So my letterbox name is capital H, Hesse ninety nine, no spaces. H E double S Y 99. Check that out, please. That is a crisp appreciate box. And on that note, the occasional, the occasional like is much appreciated. As we always say, as we always say on the Ego Out podcast, suck eggs. Suck eggs. This has been another classic. Bye. Europe. Another classic or a fresh one. If we knew what we wanted, you'd be useless. Tell us what's in. Tell us who's done another anti-